have your Bibles with you or however you choose to read the word, you might like to open it to 2 Peter 1 this morning. It doesn't actually mean that because we finished 1 Peter, we're starting on 2 Peter. Just happens to be where we're heading this morning. I don't know. I don't know. The Lord might say that we're to study 2 Peter now. That'll be 2018's sermon series. And as you turn to 2 Peter 1, let me pray for us. Father, we just really want this morning to hear what it is that you have to say to us. We are so grateful, God, to serve a God who loves to communicate with his people and to speak clearly to us. I thank you, God, that we can have an expectancy to hear your voice speaking into our lives. And so, Father, as we open up your word together this morning, I just really pray, Father, that it would take effect in our lives. We just incline our ears to you and our hearts to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're reading in 2 Peter 1 this morning. I'm just going to read verses 3 to 8. His divine power, meaning Jesus's, Jesus's divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, your virtue with knowledge, your knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. If these qualities are yours and increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You may notice that there's a very large fridge in the foyer at the moment. And that fridge was delivered um, a couple of weeks ago in preparation for the Father Heart School that um, we hosted here during last week for the catering team. Now, this was delivered and the delivery guy did help get it through the door, but then he abandoned ship and drove off and left the fridge there. And it turns out that it's a very large fridge and it doesn't fit through any of our doors whatsoever. But with sheer determination, physical brute strength and a dash of stubbornness, Andrew and Adam literally manhandled it into place in the kitchen. I stood by completely ineffective and unfruitful. 
I displayed absolutely no faith in their ability to get the job done. I stood squawking on the sidelines and making helpful suggestions like, don't you think we should just leave it in the foyer? As I imagined all the ways they were going to injure their back, squash their toes and their fingers as they lowered it down and managed to get it through the door. I really made quite a nuisance of myself. Andrew laughingly suggested that someone like me being present made it far more satisfying when they finally got the fridge in place. <laughs> I'm not entirely convinced that that's the role I want to have in life. <laughs> now, over the past few months, this is, that was my segue, over the past few months, I've been giving a lot of thought to what it looks like to be increasing in effectiveness and fruitfulness in my life in Christ, to be found mature in him and definitely not ineffective and unfruitful squawking on the sidelines. Of course, in this instance, I was never really ever going to be able to physically help to get that very large fridge in place. In that case, probably the most effective and fruitful thing I could have done is gone back to my office and got out of the way. But I really want to live my life effectively for the Lord. And Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, in verse 17, he says, I desire to be a person leading a life that the Lord has assigned to me and to which God has called me. Elsewhere, he talks about running the race that is set before him and finishing well. And that's my desire. My desire as I have begun to unpack with the Lord about living a, an effective and fruitful life is, God, I want to be that person. I want to be someone who runs the race well. So this led me to looking at this passage that we have been looking or we've read this morning in 2 Peter 1. And as I've studied it, I came fairly quickly to identify this tension that I think we live with as believers when we're looking at wanting to live an effective and a fruitful life. And that's that tension between what only Jesus can accomplish in our lives and what we are called to take responsibility for. And I think that plays out in lots of different areas of our life, not just in this area of looking and desiring to be fruitful um, and um, effective. What can only Jesus accomplish in our lives and what are we to take responsibility for? So Peter starts off in this um, chapter by saying that it's Jesus' divine power that has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, that he has granted us precious and very great promises, and we celebrated those again at communion this morning, that through those promises we could become partakers of his divine nature, it says. That's pretty incredible. We have access to his nature as a result of his work on the cross for us. That we have escaped from the corruption of sin, it says. And he has done all of this for us. His salvation is assured for us. And it is effective in its purpose. We cannot do that for ourselves. That can only be done through the Lord Jesus Christ. But then... Peter goes on to say this. He says, because of this, 
because of this amazing, supernatural, grace-filled provision of the Lord, make every effort. Make every effort. Be diligent would be another way of saying it. Be active. Be intentional. Because of what the Lord has done that only he could do, make every effort. Peter makes it pretty clear here that we have some responsibility in increasing our effectiveness and being fruitful. So as I thought more about this, this is not the only tension that I think we live with when we're thinking about being fruitful and effective. When talking about effectiveness, the other thing that I think it's really easy to trip over is confusing our value with effectiveness, of believing that the more effective we are, the more valuable we are. And so really, before I get any further into this, I, wanted, I want to just unpack the difference for us between our effectiveness and our value, because they are totally different. Value is determined by the price that is paid for something. Would you agree? So value is determined by the price that is paid for something. So if I took an old battered cricket bat out of my garden shed and tried to sell it, it wouldn't fetch much money. It holds little value. However, if a similar-looking old cricket bat had with it the history of belonging to the great cricketer Sir Donald Bradman, and you were a, sports, a lover of sports memorabilia, which I probably am not, but if you were, then the amount that you would pay for something that perhaps looked like the same old battered cricket bat would change dramatically, wouldn't it? And determines its value. So suddenly, it's, it actually has high value because of the price that was paid for it. Our life was paid at the highest price. The life of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. This is what determines our value. The price that was paid for us. Now, you may feel that there are still areas of brokenness in your life and issues that you're working through. If we're honest, that is all of us. You may feel a bit scuffed up, maybe even a bit stamped upon. However, just like my $10 note, the value is the same. I can still, it doesn't really matter, it's pretty hard to rip these ones these days, but um, it doesn't really matter what I do to this, whether I get a bit of Vegemite toast on it in the morning or whatever else. The value of this $10 note is still the same. Our value does not change, whether we do amazing things for God or, in fact, whether we do nothing for him. We can't work to improve our value and we can't apply ourselves to growing in value. I am his daughter. You are his daughter or his son. You are inherently valuable to him because you belong to him. 
That is what determines your value. But whereas value doesn't change, our effectiveness can change. Our effectiveness can ebb and flow. And we have the ability to impact our effectiveness as we live as followers of Christ in his purposes. So again, remember, our value is not determined by our effectiveness. But we can improve our effectiveness. We can learn and grow and develop habits to be more effective. We don't simply get saved and automatically become effective disciples. We grow and mature over time. And so Peter, in this chapter that we've just read, says, make every effort to supplement, or it means to add to your faith, remembering that faith is something that's God-given, our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So make every effort to add to that faith, that measure of faith that we've been given, virtue, which is moral excellence, and to, virt- and to moral excellence, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, steadfastness, and to steadfastness, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly affection, and to brotherly affection, love. And then he says this amazing statement, for if these qualities are yours and increasing or growing, if these qualities are in your life and they're increasing and growing, remembering he said we need to make every effort to add these in or supplement them, then he says that these qualities will keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Another way to put it would be that if these qualities are added to your faith and increasing in your life, you will grow in effectiveness and fruitfulness. Now, we could have a year-long study looking at each of these qualities in detail. Today, I just actually want to hone in on one And that's steadfastness, steadfastness. And it's a real something that I've been talking to the Lord about, really because actually it's an area that has been challenged in my life. So if you will, turn over to James chapter 1, back towards the Old Testament two books. When we were away on holidays, the girls discovered that my left and right skills are not very good. So in the end, Justin said, just either say my side or your side if you're giving directions. (laughs) So I wasn't going to say turn left or right in the Bible because I might have got it wrong. Right. So I'm just going to read James 1, chapters 2 to 4. My ability to tell left from right does impact my effectiveness in actually being somebody who gives people directions. Um, <clears throat> chapter, verse, verse 2 of chapter 1. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. I want to share personally with you for a few moments. 
I was reflecting, as you often do, about how you finish a year, or I certainly do. I'm usually towards the end of the year or at the beginning of the next. I just have a, I reflect back over the year that has been. And we were in New Zealand for that because we went on a family holiday straight after Christmas. And as I reflected on how I'd finished 2017, I actually felt quite challenged around this whole area of steadfastness in my life because of an unexpected trial. Now, 2017 for us as a family was a very full year, slightly complex year, full of lots of different things and transitions. We had a child in her last year of school. Uh, we were building a studio in our back garden to kind of um, allow our family to expand but stay in the same house. In, and we're not, I'm, not, I'm not pregnant. It's not expanding in that way. Our children are just getting bigger. Um, and there were many and varied challenges for us. And on top of that, I, I, if you reflect on 2017, a lot was going on nationally and globally. But if you'd asked me in November, how would I rate my year? I would have said that it was a year characterised by hearing God clearly in my life of being aware of, definitely of areas that God was at work on in me, but that overall it was a year of steady growth and deepening intimacy with God, that it had really been a very impacting year for me in God. And I feel that in 2017 there were many promises for me both personally but also for us as a church that were really exciting and filled me with a great sense of expectancy. And then in late November, my dad became very unwell. My mum and dad live in Canberra. And he ended up requiring emergency open-heart surgery. And then he had quite a number of complications post-operatively. And he is well on the way to recovery now, praise the Lord. But this unexpected turn of events into what it had already been a fairly full year had a really major impact on my mindset. And now I'm not beating myself up about feeling stressed and emotional about facing my dad's mortality and it, it was hard and it was emotional. But what I became aware of as I've reflected back on 2017 is that based on just that six-week period of his ill health, my assessment of 2017 shifted dramatically. And suddenly I went from considering 2017 is a really impactful year in God as to a, being a hard year and a year that I couldn't wait to see the back of. Really what happened is that my supposed truth became what I felt most in the moment. As James goes on to describe in this chapter, I was really being driven and tossed about and feeling rather unstable. And then I heard this quote a woman that I listened to on a pod podcast, she said this. She said, a difficult season doesn't mean it's a bad life. You see, this difficult season had coloured my whole view and perspective of a year. Life is full of the unexpected. Life is full of trials. So how do we not be tossed about by them? The very opposite of what's described in James as being tossed about and wavering and unstable is this quality of steadfastness. 
in Merriam-Webster's dictionary, um, they define steadfastness as being firmly fixed in place and immovable. And then this Greek word for steadfastness, my pronunciation of Greek's not fabulous, but anyway, which is hupomone, hupomone. This Greek word for steadfastness, it occurs 33 times in the New Testament. And it can be translated patient endurance and constancy. Steadfastness is not to be swerved from your purpose and is outworked by a sustaining, persevering faith. To be effective in our purpose, we must be steadfast, unswerving and persevering. James says in this, and I've always found this a fairly difficult thing to read. You probably have. It's one of those scriptures it's nice to kind of skip over. Count it all joy when you meet trials. When I was doing a bit of digging around in the meaning here, this word for trials is not a generic word for suffering. It actually means trials that test your faith or even temptation is often it, it can be translated as. So it's not a word for general suffering. It's a word used to describe trials that test your faith. And he says, count it joy, not because of the trial, but because the outcome of the testing of our faith is that it is proven, our faith is proven in the process of being put under test. And this produces steadfastness, constancy, patient endurance. So what James is really saying here is that as we get to practice standing firm with God in the midst of trials, we grow in steadfastness. And steadfastness, Peter lists, as a quality we need in our life to help keep us from being ineffective and unfruitful. So James is not saying that it's necessarily going to be enjoyable in the trial, but that on completion, our faith will be robust, enduring and sustaining. Faith is actually proven at the point of our weakness and in the midst of the experience that God is right there with us and this produces steadfastness. In 1 Peter 1.7, Peter describes this as tested genuineness of faith. And he says that is more precious than gold. Tested genuineness of faith is more precious than gold. And then the writer to Hebrews says in chapter 10 verse 36, you have need of hupomone. You have need of endurance or steadfastness so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what he has promised. And then in Timothy, the letter um, that Paul writes to Timothy, 1 Timothy 6.11, he exhorts Timothy, pursue or intentionally run after steadfastness. We need steadfastness in our lives to be fruitful and effective in our purposes in Christ. 
James goes as far as to say that when you let steadfastness take its full effect, you will be perfect. Now, that doesn't mean that we're perfect sometimes in the way that we think. That word perfect perhaps more accurately means complete, to be competent and mature and whole. So he's saying that when you let steadfastness have its full effect, you will be complete, competent, mature and whole, lacking nothing. Steadfastness is a mark of maturity and growth and therefore a quality that leads to effectiveness and fruitfulness in running our race well. And James says the testing of our faith produces this steadfastness. But how do we allow steadfastness to have its full effect? I always like to think, well, that's great, Lord, but how, what does that look like? What does it look like for us to allow steadfastness to have its full effect? What do we need in our lives to allow that to happen? And so I just really want to finish today by looking briefly at two keys that allow steadfastness to have its full effect in our life that we find just here in James. And I'm going to give them to you right up front. They are asking for wisdom from the Lord and the revelation of the goodness of the Father. So these two keys that allow steadfastness to take its full effect in our lives, asking for wisdom and the revelation of the goodness of the Father, they're fairly big topics, and so we are going to just touch on them this morning. So immediately after exhorting his readers to let steadfastness take its full effect during the testing of their faith, James says this in verse 5. He says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. It's always important when we're reading scripture to read it in context. So James has just been talking about in trials, we will, as we remain steadfast, that that it, it will have its full effect in our life, that steadfastness is produced, sorry, by the testing of our faith. And then straight away, he says, if you lack wisdom, let him ask. Because God gives generously to all, to all, you can underline that, to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. That's a pretty amazing promise. The Hebrew understanding of wisdom was much more than just intellectual knowledge. The Hebrews understood that wisdom was God-given, that it was God-centered, and it was a discernment regarding the practical issues of life. It wasn't it was a, a wisdom that was applicable to life and living out a life for the Lord. So wisdom from God helps us know how to practically live effective lives in and out of trials. Wisdom from God helps us remain steadfast, to stand firm and unswerving in our God-given purpose. Wisdom from God causes us to grow and to mature. James goes on in chapter, to, chapter 3 of this book to describe 
what the wisdom from God looks like. He says, But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. They sound like wonderful qualities to have in our life, don't they? Peaceable, gentle, pure, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Those are fruits that build steadfastness even in our lives rather than being tossed about. James instructs his readers, ask God for wisdom because he gives generously and without reproach. The Father is not put off by our need for his wisdom in our life. We do not need to have all the answers. He has no expectation or desire for us to manage our life without him. Unlike the world's view of effectiveness, we are actually most effective in our purpose when we are dependent on God and not independent from him. He wants to give us his wisdom. He delights to give us his wisdom when we ask for it. As parents, when our girls come to us and genuinely ask for our wisdom and input in their lives, Justin and I are not like, oh, you know, just can you just go away? I don't want to be bothered with this. We are blessed because what it does for us is it affirms our relationship with them. It actually affirms that they trust us and that they want us to be involved in our lives, in their lives even. James says we are to ask God for wisdom with assurance, with faith in him and in who he is. And this leads me to this second point around the Father's goodness. You see, James says here that when we doubt the Father's goodness and his character and faithfulness, then we are driven and tossed about and unstable. I'll say that again. When we doubt the Father's goodness and his character and faithfulness, when, then we become driven and agitated and tossed about and unstable. I find this such a strong image. When we don't know and have a true revelation of the goodness of God in trials and testing, then we will be driven and agitated and thrown about by the external circumstances of our life. The goodness of God is an anchor for us. James puts it this way. He says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. In whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. When we trust that God is a good father, we can remain steadfast in trials. This root word, I've talked about hupomone, but the root word for hupomone is another Greek word, which is meno. And I've spoken about meno before. This is a word that's translated abide and is a lot in... Um, uh, in John uses the word a lot, talking about Jesus instructing them to abide in me. And it means to not depart. It means to 
be held and kept continually. I love that picture of abiding, that it's not just about our ability to hold on to him, but actually is a description of how he holds on to us and keeps us continually. And then hupo means under. So hupomone means to abide under. Steadfastness has its full effect when we abide under the covering of the Father's love rather than being overshadowed by the trials. Our life and our circumstances will always be changing and unexpected things do happen. That's a given in our life. There's nothing in Scripture that would suggest to us that we will live a life separate of trial. But there is no variation or shadow due to change in our Father. Trials may cast a shadow over us for a while, but in our Father we find no variation, no change. He is the same yesterday, today and forever. Our good Father is completely unshakable and unchanging. Why would we not want to abide under that? See, steadfastness is not merely inner strength, grit and determination. It is rather choosing to stick with the Lord and to abide under him. And I guess today, if you remember nothing else, I want you to remember this, that even though um, Peter says, make every effort to add steadfastness into those qualities True steadfastness is not just inner strength and determination. It is choosing to stick with the Lord, the unchangeable one, and to abide under him. So as we seek to be people who are growing and maturing, living effective and fruitful lives for Christ, my exhortation to you this morning and indeed for this year is to remain steadfast, allowing it to take its full effect in your life. I'd like to invite the worship team back up, if that's okay. And I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet. There's two things that I've just really felt this morning to do. I want to pray a passage of Colossians 1 over us this morning. But as we were singing this morning, good, good God, I just felt again that it was worth finishing our morning together, again making that declaration over our lives, that as people desiring to add steadfastness into our lives, that can only be done as we acknowledge the goodness of our God, that is where our steadfastness and our ability to remain steadfast in trial comes from, from him, from his wisdom, from knowing who he is and that he is good. So if you would close your eyes, I'm just going to use the words of Paul in Colossians 1. Father, may we be filled with the knowledge of your will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a worthy manner fully pleasing to you bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ 
being strengthened with all power according to your glorious might for all steadfastness and patience with joy. We give thanks to you, Father. You have qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. You have delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of your beloved Son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Father, we trust that this week you will help us to remain steadfast. Lord, it is our desire as your people to live effective and fruitful lives, to mature and grow in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, to fulfill the purposes that you have set before us. So, Father, this morning as a part of that, we just choose to lean into you. Lord, we recognise that at times we lose sight of your goodness, that that we feel overshadowed by trials and unexpected things. And God, if that's where anyone is at this morning, I ask, Father, for just a fresh revelation of your love and your goodness. And God, we seek your wisdom in every aspect of our life. But Father, we pray, God, that we would learn to be people who run to you and seek your wisdom and not try to figure it out on our own. We just thank you, Father. And we just choose to sing this worship song again this morning to declare who you are over our life.